Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church family. Uh, My name is Barrett Bowden. I'm lead pastor here at Island Community Church, and I am incredibly grateful that you have joined us for today in worship. Those who are home here at ICC and those who are visiting with us, perhaps looking for a church home, and those who are among us who are just seeking to know more about God and more about church and have some big questions that you're desiring to get answered, we welcome you this morning and we appreciate you being here very much. We love you. I hope this morning that you have opportunity to have something to write with uh, today um, and also a way to perhaps look at God's word today. And I encourage you to get both of them open. I don't know if you've heard it already, but we are beginning a new series today and a new study today in the book of Romans. Anybody excited? We are pumped. This study will take us throughout this entire ministry year from now all the way through the end of May with some breaks for special emphases and special holidays. But we are thrilled that you are here on the launch of this day as we begin our study in the book of Romans. I really believe that um, you're going to be incredibly blessed by this uh, book. Um, I will tell you that when I was in college, I read this book of Romans for the very first time in a serious way. I studied it for the first time. And I was asking some really big and important questions during that season of my life. Most of these questions I'm sure you have asked as well. Who was I? What am I here for? What has gone wrong with the world? What has gone wrong within me? And what can be done to put things back right? I'm sure that many of us here today have wrestled with some of those questions in our lives. And I got to tell you, this book completely changed my life because in this book there were answers there are still answers serious answers for really big and serious questions and there's life-changing answers and the reason this book is so life-changing truly is because this book helps us to understand that it all goes back to having a right relationship with God And this book proclaims the good news of how to have right relationship with God on the basis, not on what we do, but on the basis of what he has done in Jesus Christ. And I really believe that in the same way that this book changed me, and it wasn't just this book, it was God who changed me through this book, this love letter to us, all of the Bible, his God breathed, including this book, But I truly believe that if you're serious about being honest about some big questions that we have and you're serious and open to really studying God's word and my commitment to you, our commitment to you is that we will study 
not, we're not going to be teaching sermons through this series that are just what Barrett thinks or anybody who else is up here what we think. We're just going to be exposing to you God's Word. And I think if you're serious about studying this with us, then you will have the opportunity, no matter where you are in your journey, whether it's asking big questions, wondering about relationship with God, or whether it's already having trusted Jesus Christ and growing in relationship with God, I believe God will work in your heart and in your mind and in your life as we commit ourselves to this book. And I'm, I'm so excited. Um, we're going to be journeying through it slowly. So for instance, this morning, all we're doing is seven verses. And the reason we're going to be going so slowly is because my aim as I teach to you throughout this series and anyone else here as well, is that you really grow to know God's Word. And that's why I say, get your pen out or your notepad out on your phone or device and, and get the Bible open. Because through Sundays, through your personal time in God's Word uh, in preparation for Sundays, and we'll be emailing out the Scripture to come week to week, and so you can prepare by spending time with God in His Word, and also through your time in community, whether it's one-on-one with people or maybe your small group is going through this series with us, uh, your community group, then... But through these things, you will have an opportunity to really grow in God. And I can't wait. Y'all excited? All right. So another thing to know is we have gotten really cool at ICC. We have found a way by request. I said to our worship team and our media team, specifically Tad, who I want to say thank you to publicly right now. I said, is there a way that I can get into the scripture and mark it up in live form and have everybody see it. And we have figured it out. So, everything that you see on the screen today is gonna be controlled from this device right here. I'm going to be able to use this nifty little pen to mark, and I'm excited about it. But what I want for you to anticipate is you doing the same alongside of me, okay? It's gonna be really important that we get into the scripture together. So, you cool with that? And if I miss a slide, please don't blame the people in the back. It truly is all on me, all right? So let's be gracious. We start by looking at the book of Romans, as I said, and I, and I just want to give a little bit of background. If you've got your Bibles um, right out the gate, we'll read the full text for the day in just a second, but I, always as we're launching a series, it's important for you to know something about the context by which the book is written. Because if you really don't know the context of the book, it's really easy to misinterpret the book. We don't go, well, what does it mean to me? It's like, well, what did it mean to those who originally wrote the book and those who originally heard the book? So it's important right here out the gate, verse one, you see here, very first verse, it says, Paul wrote this book. This is largely undisputed. I mean, almost no one disputes this, unlike some of the other books where we're curious about who wrote it. In the book of Romans, we know that Paul wrote the book. Um, Paul, of course, an Israelite. Um, I'm not, I don't have a slide for this, but perhaps you want to take some notes of what I'm saying, or maybe it's just to, to, to just refresh your memory. He was from the tribe of Benjamin of Israel. He was unique in that he was a Roman citizen. He was born around the time of Jesus in Tarsus, which is a really important Roman province, Sicilia, which is basically modern-day Turkey. He spent most of his early life in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, 
And he was a student of the rabbi Gamaliel. All of these facts we know from scripture. Um, His dad was a Pharisee, and just like his dad, Paul became a Pharisee. Now, what does it mean to be a Pharisee? It's just that he's a member of the strictest, the most conservative and strict of all of the sects of Judaism. Paul, though, had his life completely changed. And around 33 or 34 AD, we know that Paul's life completely changed. And what, could, what completely changed Paul's life was Paul encountered the resurrected Jesus. Much after um, his actual resurrection, Paul actually, the church had been started and Paul, as a strict Pharisee, was actually going about trying to track down people who were claiming that Jesus was Lord, that he was Savior, that he was Messiah. And they were trying to snuff out and stamp out Christianity. And Paul was one of the ones who was actually tracking down followers of Jesus in order to imprison them and even kill them. And all of this changed in Paul's life, one of the most radical transformation stories in the scripture because Paul encountered Jesus himself. And suddenly Paul realized that this one who he was standing against was actually who these followers of Jesus said he was. He was Lord and he was Savior. He was a resurrected king. And immediately, Paul started proclaiming Jesus all over. He is, most would accredit him to be primarily responsible for the spread of the gospel during his time in in much of the Roman Empire. He made three incredible trips, we call them missionary journeys, through a lot of the Mediterranean world. So Paul is the guy who writes the book. Everybody got that? Okay. What we see, though, is if you go to verse 7 in your scripture… He tells us to whom he's writing the book. And what does he say? To all those who are where? In Rome, okay? So what we see is the book has a clear author and it also has a clear recipient. He's writing to the church in Rome. Now, what we know is, of course, Rome is the most important city in all of the Roman Empire. Around the time of Paul's writing it, there's probably about a million people or more who are living in Rome. It's a place where there's amazing architecture, amazing culture. Um, the emperor's palace is there. The forum is there. The Circus Maximus is there. Some of y'all may have heard of these things or even traveled to see these things. And the reality is a church had been birthed in Rome. How do we know that? It had been birthed actually when? On the day of Pentecost. There were people who were from Rome who actually were saved miraculously as the Holy Spirit descended and many, many people were saved. There were people from Rome who were saved. And actually the church was birthed on that day and the church would have probably consisted of Gentiles and uh, mostly Gentiles, perhaps some Jews, but it's, it's gonna be mostly Gentile people. Now, What's interesting is that Paul seems to be writing this letter, I'll I'll write it down here on the screen so you can see it, around 56 AD, okay? Um, Now, if you place when Paul wrote it, he's writing this letter most likely on his third missionary journey. Paul is actually probably in Corinth, which is in Greece, as he's preparing to go to Israel with an offering to the poor. We know that Paul had intended to go to Jerusalem and then to Rome and then to Spain. 
And the evidences for him being in Corinth are many. Many of them are, are throughout the letter. One of them is that in chapter 16, verse 1, we actually find out the person who's carrying this letter is a lady whose name is Phoebe. Now, Phoebe is mentioned there at the end of the letter. She's from Corinth. And Paul's actually commending her to the Romans. She's the one who's actually the messenger of this letter to the church in Rome. So it's very likely that Paul is writing this while he's on his third missionary journey. His heart is to get the gospel to the Gentile world. And while he's in Corinth, he's saying, I want to go to Rome, but for now, I'm sending you this letter. All right? And what's so interesting is Paul does end up in Rome, but it's not in the way that he originally desired to be there. He ended up getting arrested under some false accusations. He had many, many trials. He had made appeal to Caesar because of his citizenship. And long story short, he ended up in prison in Rome. I've been in the prison cell where they held him. And eventually around 65 AD, um, he was actually killed there for knowing, loving, and talking about with passion, Jesus Christ. So, everybody good? So we've got the letter written by Paul to the church of Rome, all right? That's the context by which we're looking today. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to go through the first seven verses. I've titled today's message, Introducing the Gospel. And we're going to be looking at verses one through seven of Romans chapter one. If you've got your Bible, I would encourage you to follow along with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those who are in Rome, who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning what I want to talk to you about is this first section. And what I want to do to you is actually just, again, I'm going to preach expositionally, which means my goal is just to expose the text to you. I don't have to write a sermon. I want to expose to you the sermon that's already been written for us all, okay? So in the first part of this book, Paul's basically going, hey, y'all. He's basically introducing himself. And he's setting up kind of what, why he's writing. He's helping us to know What's the point of this letter anyway? And so in this section of introducing the gospel, his main point I can summarize as follows. The gospel is foundational and transformational for life with God now and forever. He, out the gate, is saying, 
hey, um, I'm writing to you because I want for you to understand the gospel. It is everything. If you're curious about God, if you're curious about relationship with God, if you're curious about those questions that we talked about earlier, if you're curious about how to be right with God, then you've got to hear me. I am writing to you for this reason that you understand the gospel because the gospel is the foundation for understanding and for living in right relationship with God now and forever. And in this section, he's not just theologizing. He, he does include a lot of theology and I'm about to go through it with you to teach you this morning. But there's this really big heart that Paul has for you not just to understand these things, but for you to treasure these things and to treasure Jesus, who is life for Paul and life for all who believe. And Paul writes that you be changed, not just treasure, but you be transformed by Jesus. And ultimately, in this section, what we're gonna learn is not only does he want you to be to treasure Jesus and be transformed by Jesus, but he wants you to learn to live with passion for Jesus. So we're gonna walk through this together. Um, there's five main sections, and you go, wait a second, five sections out of seven verses? This is crazy. Yes, and I'm gonna teach you this morning how to actually see these as we walk through the scripture. You don't have to write them all down right now because we're gonna go through them one at a time, but in verse one, as Paul introduces the gospel to us, we're gonna see what it looks like to have gospel identity. He's also, in verse one to three, gonna talk to us about gospel basics. In verses three and four, he's gonna help us to know what is the gospel focus. Verses five and six, he's gonna help us to see gospel motivation. And verse seven, he's going to offer a gospel blessing. Now, you gotta know that basically all of these things that he's gonna introduce here in these early verses are gonna be things that he's gonna expound on for the next 16 chapters of this book. But he's helping us to get a framework right here at the beginning for what it looks like to have a, a foundational and transformational understanding of the gospel. To have a foundational and transformational experience in relationship with God. So let's start by looking at this first section, and I hope you'll start taking notes with me as we journey through these of gospel identity. Gospel identity. Paul's identity was radically transformed. And it was transformed because it, it basically shifted from self to Jesus. It was transformed because it got rooted, radically reoriented in relationship with Jesus. And, and, and ours can be too. Um, I know many of us, many of us wrestle with the question, who am I? And in different seasons, we're, we're always seeming to shop for our identity. And often we are tempted to shop for it horizontally with our age or our stage of life or our gender or our family or our work or our roles or our personality. How many tests have you taken this year, you know? Maybe where we live or how much money we have or our sexuality or our hobbies or our economic class or our kids or our politics or our social groups. You go on and on and the world will throw at you ways in which you can shop 
for your identity in terms of things of this world. And if you read Philippians 3 later, and I'd encourage you to think about doing it, what you learn with Paul is he had shopped for his identity among a lot of things that this world throws at him. If he wanted to pride himself in a, a who's who list, man, he had it going on. But, but what Paul comes in this very start of this book and helps us to see is, is none of that matters anymore to him. And none of that should matter anymore to us. In fact, all of those other categories of identity are, are, are not ultimate. All of them can be taken from you at any moment. Our identity is meant to be not shot for horizontally, but shot for vertically. It's meant to be rooted in God. And he's going to walk through here a couple of ways that his own identity has been rooted in God. We'll start with a text, and I do hope some way you can find a way to take notes or maybe even mark up your own text. But what we saw here is right at the beginning, we see Paul, but then he goes immediately to describe himself. First, he describes himself as this. Look here. What does it say? A servant of Christ. A servant of Christ. Now, this word in the Greek is this, doulos. Now, the reason I point this out, I'm talking about servant here. The reason I point this out is because it literally is interpreted as slave. Slave. Um, and doulos are interchangeable. And doulos in the New Testament is the most common word uh, used for slave. Sometimes it's translated as servant. In the Greek culture of Paul's day, they would have referred to, when you talked about doulos, they would have referred to the involuntary or permanent service as, as a slave or of a slave. But in the Hebrew sense, and this is likely where Paul is coming from, given his background, he's understanding it as a servant who is like willingly committed to himself to serve a master that he loves and respects. What Paul is saying here is if you want to understand something about my identity, I am one who is under authority. It is no longer about me. In fact, what we could describe here is his first piece of gospel-rooted identity is, yes, he is a servant of Jesus. But by servant of Jesus, what we mean here is Paul's basically saying, I belong to Jesus. If you want to understand me, you have to understand Jesus because I am completely, willingly, joyfully committed to him and to his service. I, I can't understand myself now apart from Jesus. That is who I am. I am in him. I belong to him. Now, we've talked before, like uh, a few summers ago, I did a whole series on gospel identity. And I said to you this quote, identity, true identity is not about who you are when we are believers in Christ. It's no longer about who we are. It's about whose we are. And what Paul is saying is, the, the way I understand myself now, it, it's no longer about who I am. That, that old self is gone. Shopping for horizontal identity, that's gone. It's no longer about whose I am. I have found relationship with Jesus Christ, and he is everything to me. I am a servant 
I belong to Jesus. Secondly, we see here as Paul describes himself, not only is he a servant of Christ Jesus, but it says here something else. Number two, it says here he's called to be an apostle. Do y'all see that in your scripture? He's called to be an apostle. Now this word, apostolos, in the Greek, literally means this, sent one, okay? So as you study the text, what he's saying is, the other way that I understand myself, not only do I belong to Jesus, but I am a sent one of Jesus. Now, one of the things that um, you need to understand is this word in the New Testament has two kind of meanings, okay? The first is it can indicate a, an office in the church, all right? Now, what I mean by this is in the New Testament, there were two qualifications when we talk about a church office, a particular role in the church. There was an office called the apostle's office. And there were two qualifications for this office. First, you had to have seen Jesus after his resurrection with your own eyes. So you had to be an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection. And secondly, you had to be specifically commissioned by Christ to be an apostle. So, it's kind of a unique authority that these men had. There were 12 of them, and their words spoke with, in an absolute sense. The Holy Spirit used these people to write the words of our scripture. And so, in one way, we could go, okay, called to be an apostle. Paul could be referring to himself as one who saw Jesus after his resurrection with his own eyes, and he was commissioned by Jesus to have the specific task and to write with authority the words of Scripture. But we also know in the New Testament, and I hope this is interesting to you because I want you to understand your Scripture. This is God's Word to us. In the New Testament, one of the other ways that the, the word apostle is used is similar to kind of like a pioneer missionary. Somebody who has like a special calling to just be missional on behalf of the church to get the gospel forward. And, and a lot of people will use this even today in a broader sense. You might hear people that will claim they have an apostolic type calling or, they, or they're fulfilling an apostolic type role. Typically in today's day, we're referring to kind of somebody who's a missionary pioneer like this or a really effective church planter. John, um, Jesus actually says, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. That is the word here in Greek, the same word. So the one who has been sent. There's other places in the scripture that it's used, like in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, it refers to Epaphroditus as an apostle, one who has been sent with a message. In 2 Corinthians 8, 23, we also see that the word is used for people who are carrying an offering to Jerusalem. So it could be used either way. But what I want you to, to notice here as we continue to fill out what does a gospel-rooted identity look like, <clears throat> Paul is saying, I have an identity. Not only do I belong to Jesus, but I understand that I have been sent by Jesus. I understand that I am one who has been commissioned. I am one who lives for Jesus. 
if I'm going to live for anything, it's going to be for him. Because he's not only called me to belong to himself, but he's called me as I belong to him to make much of him. Do you see? So we have a servant of Jesus. We have him sent by Jesus. Well, the third thing that we notice here in verse 1 is not only do we have Paul's servant of Christ called to be an apostle, but look at this third phrase right here. What does it say here? Set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. Now this phrase right here, this phrase set apart, literally means in Greek, I'm not going to give you the Greek words, too complicated, but I'll give you the English translation, and it's separated. Separated. It's basically meaning that it's, it's like, imagine having something that's like removed from everything else for a specific purpose. Uh, many of us this week have been riveted by <clears throat> the news of the queen's death and also perhaps some of the scenes that have been coming out of the United Kingdom. Uh, one of the things that I've been fascinated by, I've never even seen this, but the, all the people have y'all been seeing pictures of the, her coffin and, and it's like they've been, all these guards are like surrounding her coffin and for days on end now, there have been these people who just are surrounding her coffin in this royal regalia and they're just, just standing there with their heads down, kind of keeping watch over uh, her body and over that scene. I was uh, reading about this and some of them were describing how this is literally a set of guards that are literally wholly dedicated to keep vigil. Like this is all they're doing, day and night, this particular group of the military. They're just dedicated for this one purpose. Now, what Paul is saying here is I've been like set apart like, as, as I consider myself amidst the whole, I am one who considers myself in this special group of us who have been set apart to keep vigil over the gospel, to be about this message of God. I am one who is set apart for this reason. And we'll see as he goes through the book that he's telling us that this is the greatest joy of his life. He cannot believe that Jesus loves him. He cannot believe that Jesus chose him. He cannot believe that he has been given such grace. He cannot believe that he gets to live with such purpose. He sees himself as one who has been taken aside and set apart for this, and it's the best thing in the world. I was listening to an interview on the BBC, and yes, I, I watch the BBC. I happen to like it very much. The accents are very pleasing, and they cover... <laughs> They cover more than American politics, praise the Lord. And so that you get a picture of global news, but I have neither time here nor there to talk about that today. But I was watching the BBC and they did come on with this brief segment about this special guard that I told you about holding vigil over the, the queen. And one of the, the women that was interviewed, she said, I cannot believe that I was chosen for such a special task. They were, the interview was basically going, isn't that, doesn't that, isn't it difficult to stand there for this long and to be appointed for this? Doesn't it make you nervous? All the eyes of the world are on this. And she says, I cannot believe that I would have the honor of being chosen for such a wonderful task. That's Paul's attitude, is he cannot believe that he's been separated for this reason. So third, as we round out our gospel identity, what we see is that Paul's saying, I, am, I belong to Jesus, I live for Jesus, but I'm also set apart for Jesus. He's saying... I treasure Jesus above all. 
I love Jesus, and he is the best for me, and I treasure him. I treasure him above all else. I love him. So, is this your identity? I just pause to ask because from all of God's word, even in introduction, there's something we can learn. Now, I know there's so much more for you to understand about the gospel as we go through this book, but one of the things I want to challenge you with, even here at the start, where do you place your identity? I mean, truly, I, you might know the right answer after what I've just taught, but I'm asking you for real. Where is it that you look for your identity? Do you shop for it horizontally or do you derive it vertically? The invitation is to learn an identity in God that is not defined by circumstance, by other people, by achievement, by flesh or anything else of this world, but is defined by who he is and what he has done. There's a prayer you can pray as you think on these verses in the coming days and reflect on them in your community. There's a way that you can process truly. Do you have a sense every day when you wake up, I belong to Jesus. <laughs> I live for Jesus. I treasure Jesus above all. That is your opportunity and really your need as you grow in the gospel. Well, as we move forward in the text, Paul transitions from kind of talking about who he is in Christ to, to then beginning to talk about the basics of the gospel message itself. And in verses one to three, we have an opportunity to learn something about the gospel. I wanna read these verses and then we'll go back and study them. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So the big question that we're gonna be asking in this section, well, what are the basic ingredients of the gospel? And we're gonna be making a lot of lists this morning. So again, I hope you're right, because there's just no way possible, I think with your, without engaging this morning, that you could possibly remember everything that we're covering. But one of the things that we see here, right at the, the onset here, is he says, I'm set apart, right? We looked at this a second ago, for the gospel. This is the first time, certainly will not be the last, that we get introduced to the word gospel in the book of Romans. Now this word in the Greek literally means, translated into English, Good herald. Okay? So if you're looking for an understanding of what it means, you means good. Angeloi means heralds, like angels, heralds. Okay? So you put it together, you angeloi, it means good heralds. Okay? So essentially, then to understand what it means to actually understand the basics of the word gospel, it literally means like an announcement. Okay? Or you could even say a good announcement, which is why many times in Christian circles we use the phrase, have you all ever heard this? Good news. You ever heard that? Okay. 
So when we talk about the gospel, I'm trying to give you some understanding that it literally comes from the word itself. The word itself means good news. So uh, imagine a battle scene. Uh, imagine like in Ukraine this last week, we were getting news of the region of Kharkiv recently delivered from the hands of the Russians. News flash across the BBC, world services, other places, you know, there's been victory. There has been a declared victory, a mission of defeat by the Russians, a declared victory by the Ukrainians. That news flash is, in essence, what we're talking about. That is the meaning of the word. It is a news bulletin of, a, of something good that has happened, okay? So, as we understand what it means to process the gospel, and to understand the basics of the gospel, we're gonna make a little list. First, you have to understand by the word itself, and this is a Tim Keller quote, it's not mine. The gospel is good news, not good advice. To understand the gospel, you have to see that it is good news and not good advice. So for instance, we think about the the birth narrative of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 10 and 11. Luke chapter 2, excuse me. The angel comes to them and says, fear not, for behold, I bring you, what? Good news. It's not like I'm bringing you good advice. I'm bringing you a way that if you do these five things and you try real hard, in the end you might be okay. No, he's saying I bring you good news. I'm bringing you an announcement of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, Tim Keller says this, advice is about what must be done, what you must do. But news is a report of what has already been done. There is a huge difference. Advice about what you must do. News, a report of what one has already done. He goes on to say, advice urges you to make something happen where news urges you to recognize something has already happened and to respond to it. Advice says it's all up to you to act where news says someone else has already acted. He then gives an illustration, another military illustration. He said, let's say there's an invading army coming toward a town. Now, what the town needs is military advisors. It needs advice. Someone exp should explain the earthworks and the trenches should go over there. The marksmen go up there. The tanks must go down there. That's advice. But he goes on and says, but if a king has intercepted and defeated the invading army, what does the town need then? It does not need military advisors. It needs messengers. And the Greek word for messengers here, angelos, angels, the messengers don't say, here is what you have to do. Rather, they come in and say, I bring you good news of great joy. In other words, stop fleeing, stop building fortifications, stop trying to save yourselves. The king has saved you. The king has saved you. The king has saved you. That's what we need. Someone running around and announcing what has been done. Something has been done, and this changes everything. Friends, I gotta tell you, the Bible, the Gospels, the book of Roman, is not a book about advice. 
It's not primarily a book about how you can live well. It's not a book of examples. It's not a moralizing story. Jesus did not come primarily to be an example for us. The Gospels, this book is not about what we should do. It is about how he is a savior for us. And it's a book about what he has done. You don't save yourself. God has come to save you. Aren't you grateful today that the gospel is not advice but news? And that's why, friends, we titled this series, What He's Done. Because even in the title of the series itself, I pray week after week after week as we study this book that you will have opportunity to remember what this book is all about is not asking for me to step up to do something. It's asking me for me to realize how God has stepped up to do something for me and it's done and now I must connect with him and that perfect work. It's, it's a world of difference. Secondly, not only does Paul say that this is news, but it's important that we also recognize that this news is right here, of God. It's the gospel of God. In other words, what he's saying here is that this gospel, to understand it, you have to understand that it's been delivered, it's not created. So in other words, this is not a gospel of Paul. This is not a gospel today of Barrett. This is not a gospel that we have created or a gospel that we have imagined. Rather, this is the gospel of God. This is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, as he writes to the church of Galatia, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, look, I'm just the delivery guy. I'm the guy who's here to announce this. I didn't create this. I cannot change this. I'm just here to tell you this. I'm here to communicate it. In the same way that any ambassador who's charged with representing another to give a message that's not their own, but to just deliver it faithfully. Paul's saying, I am an ambassador. I'm just here to tell you what God has told me. Well, as we go back to the text, we see not only is it not news, or not advice, but news, it's not created, but delivered, but as we go back to the text, it's important that we notice here, okay, so it's good news, it's delivered, not created, but then he goes on and says here, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is really important. Because what Paul is trying to get through to us here is that this gospel is plan A. It's not plan B. So he's saying the gospel that we're going to be talking about throughout this whole book, I need you to know something. This gospel is the same gospel that has always been from the beginning. This was the gospel that was around in the Old Testament. Now, I I know, Paul knows too, some people think that the the Old Testament was like, God's original plan that he tried with his original creation and then Adam and Eve messed it up and he tried with Abraham and Moses and the law and Israel screwed it up so now 
He's ditched the first plan in the Old Testament. So we get to the New Testament, he's creating a new plan. This is like salvation, try to. Salvation, you know, revised. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. Like, Jesus is the original plan. We know in the scripture he's described as the alpha and the omega. He is the eternal word of God. He is the shepherd, the lamb appointed before the creation of the world. We know that Paul describes us in other places like Acts chapter 16, verse 35. We bring you good news of what God's promised to the fathers. He has fulfilled to us the children by raising Jesus. So it's written, you are my son today, I've begotten you. He's saying, Psalm 2, you look at it, it's all about Jesus. He says in other places, like in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, it's not Paul, but Peter describing Jesus. He was for foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through whom are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. He's saying Jesus was plan A from the beginning. Salvation from the very beginning has always been about the good news of Jesus Christ. There's been no revision to the plan. There is no part two. This is from the beginning. We have a savior whose name is Jesus and there has always been a message of salvation of what he has done that needs to be received by faith. This is from the beginning the way God originally intended it to be. And you got to know as you think about the gospel that Jesus is the original plan. He is the original plan. The gospel is plan A and not plan B. Now as we get to point four, I want to show you here, this is the last point in this section, and it really trails us over into the next section, section three that Paul says, you've got to understand something. That the gospel is news, not advice. It's delivered, not created. It's plan A, not plan B. But he says, you've got to understand something. The gospel concerns his son. Do you see that? Now, the reason this is so important and I really want to get your attention here because I believe that sometimes in our church and in our day, this is misunderstood. He's saying here that the gospel is a person. It's not a concept. The gospel is a person. It's this news. It's the news of God. It's news that has always been from the prophets to this point. But this news concerns a person. Namely, he says, a son. And so what we're reading here is essentially that the gospel is all about Jesus. And isn't this true? John chapter 1 verse 14 says, the word became flesh. It's not a concept. It's not just like God's word. Some people, we've got to be really careful not to just fall in love with theology. We are called to fall in love with Jesus. Jesus said himself to Pharisees, you search the scriptures, but you search in vain because they were meant to lead you to me. Friends, don't love the book of Romans because it's a great study. Look how he's using the pen and stuff. It's really cool. We're going through all this word studies. Who cares about the word studies? I mean, I, it's important. But the word studies, all of this is written to lead you to a person. 
and his name is Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, filled with grace and truth. The gospel is not primarily about theology, ministry, God's people. The gospel is primarily about Jesus. Tim Keller says this, the gospel is not primarily a message about us, our lives, our dreams, or hopes. Rather, the gospel is primarily a declaration about God's Son, the man, Jesus Christ. The gospel is about Jesus. And until you come to know Jesus, you have not come to know the gospel. The gospel, the news of what God has done, is meant to lead you to a person. That's the final destination. So, the basics of the gospel we've seen. Now, what, I, what he shifts to next is in verses three and four, he shifts to talk about the focus of the gospel. And by the way, he just got there when he started talking to us about Jesus because the focus of the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus is the question that Paul is wanting to answer for you. And we look now at verses three through five. He says, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, the first thing that I wanna point your attention to is who is this Jesus? The first thing you've gotta see is that he is the fulfillment of promise. We see this right here when he begins to describe his focus on the son. He immediately wants you to know something about Jesus and he wants you to know that Jesus has descended from David according to the flesh. Why does he want you to know this? Because if he is gonna ask you to trust Jesus as savior, he's gotta have you understand who he is. And he begins to say, do you know how I just told you that this all was promised from the beginning, this is plan A? Well, Jesus has fulfilled all of the promises that were made from the beginning. He is the fulfillment of promise. And we see here in 2 Samuel 7, which we just went through the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, right? We see in the book of 2 Samuel how God had made a promise to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring after you who shall come up from your body and I will establish their kingdom and they'll build a house for my name and I'll establish the throne of the kingdom forever. So what we know is that even from our own studies recently, we remember all through the Old Testament how God was giving little glimpses of promise and he was saying, you're going to know him by this, by this, by this. And in 2 Samuel 7, he said, you're going to know him because he'll be a descendant of David. He will be like David in a way in that he will be a king. But he will be a king that's not a temporary king. He'll be a king that's an eternal king. And he'll be a king not just over one nation, but he'll be a king over all the nations. And what we see Paul saying here in verse 3 is that this king has come because this son was descended from David according to the flesh. Y'all got it? Now, the second thing that he says and that you need to understand is this phrase right here, according to the flesh. Now, this is important 
Because if you want to understand Jesus, you've got to understand not only did he fulfill the promises of the Old Testament, but he is also, when he came, he, he, he came in the fullness of man. He came in the fullness of man. Philippians 2 describes, says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. Y'all see it here? This is an echo of Romans 1. According to the flesh, he came in flesh. There is no salvation if one did not come in your likeness to die in your place as you are. We need a substitute, one who can represent us and take the condemnation that we deserve to. And and Paul's saying he came in the flesh like us. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is huge, and we'll come back later again and again. But one of the things that we know here is Paul saying to us, hey, he came, he came in the flesh. He came fullness of man. We go back to the scripture and we see not only did he come according to the flesh, but it says he was also, look, declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So not only did he come in the fullness of man, but we third find out that he came in the fullness of God. He came in the fullness of God. Now it describes how he was declared to be the son of God. He came in the fullness of God in power, but it describes there's two ways that this is proven. Number one is his resurrection from the dead. So as we seek to think about how do we know he's the fullness of God? I mean, if you're gonna trust Jesus as savior, how, how can you know that he is who he is? Well, one, it's proven by his resurrection from the dead. Christianity really comes down to this question, did Jesus really rise from the dead or not? Did he really rise from the dead or not? If he did, And to this day, we have an empty tomb. We have eyewitness reports. We have credible history. We know the stories of transformation. We've seen the cultural revolution. There has yet to be a body produced. The Roman authorities certainly didn't have it, which is why they were making up things about where it could have gone. If he rose from the dead, and Paul's saying he did, he's saying he is surely, he is surely, the Savior. He is surely God himself. But secondly, not only did he rise from the dead, that's the first one, but secondly, as he rose from the dead, he was declared, says here, Lord. So the second thing we see, that we know that he is fully God because he, there's an empty tomb, and secondly, he's been given an eternal title. Not only did he rise, but he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we read in places like Philippians 2, if you want to finish the passage we began a bit earlier, therefore, 
God has exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In places like Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 23, we read, look at the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and he's given him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What Paul is saying He said, look at Jesus. Look at his resurrection from the dead and look at the title that he has been given and you will see that truly this one who I'm bringing news about, I'm urging you to treasure and trust with your life and you today, I'm doing the same. He's saying he is the fulfillment of promise. He is fully able to take your place and he is proven by his resurrection and his ascension to be God himself. And fourth, we read this incredible title. I want you to note this title in your Bible because it's incredibly precious. What we know is Jesus here is the Greek version, right, of Joshua or Yeshua, which means, y'all remember? God saves. So literally, Jesus' name means God saves. It's an announcement, just the name of Jesus. Secondly, he's given us Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? Christ is a title. It literally means Messiah, or you could say anointed one. The Christ is the hope of Israel. It's the one they were looking forward to. It's the one all the promises of salvation have been made about. So Jesus comes on the scene. He's named God saves. And we know that he is the Messiah. He's attached to this promise. And then he describes how this Jesus is Lord. Which means he is the sovereign ruler. He is now and forever the one who oversees all and who is the guarantee of salvation for all who believe. He reigns with power and he has the power to make you right with God. By who he is and what he has done, he today is God who saves you. He today is the Messiah and he today has the power to completely change your life and put you right with God now and forever. This is Jesus. So forth, as we add to our list, we see he is the forever Savior. He is the forever Savior. Isn't it awesome to study God's word? Now, as we close this morning, I want to take you through how Paul ends this section. Because he's just given you, he's just given you the news, right? He's just given you the basics his, his own identity, the basics of the gospel, the focus all about Jesus. And now he's going to kind of close this introduction by helping us see 
what his motivation is, and he wants you to know what your opportunity is. So in closing, we look at these final verses, starting in verse 5. Through whom, Paul says, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul says, my life has now been redefined. Redefined first, through whom, this is talking about Jesus, he's talking about first, my life is redefined by grace. As I think about my life, I've now been given a new position. All of my life now is owed not to anything I have done, even though Paul incredibly accomplished, more accomplished than any person in this room. He's more of an achiever than the highest achiever in this room. His resume was more stacked than any of us. And he says, but at the end of the day, my life is now defined not by what I have done, but by what he has done for me. I can't believe I have received grace and apostleship. Grace. A new position. Second, we know that not only does he have a new position, but he's got something else new. He's got a new purpose. He says here, to bring about the obedience of faith. Paul's saying, you know, my life now is not about new toys and trinkets, new jobs, bigger bank accounts. My life is about one thing. I've got a purpose now. I want people to know Jesus. Jesus is everything to me. He is my treasure. I trust him. He is life itself to me. And I want other people to know him too. I want other people to know him. I want to bring about, he says, the obedience of faith. Now this we'll explore more, but he's contrasting here, right? Like Jesus did in John 6. People came to him and says, what is the work you want us to do? And he says, the work is this, believe. Believe in him who has been sent. So many of us want to do something. And God's saying to us, if you want to know what to do, there is something to do, but the doing is in believing. Everything else comes out of your heart. What God wants from you is deep, deep down in your heart for you to go, I can't, but God, you can. For come to a point of saying, I am broken, but God, your grace is sufficient. I am a sinner, but you are a savior. That is obedience. God wants your heart. And Paul says, I am living every day trying to get people's hearts reconnected with God through Jesus Christ. So he's got a new position, but he's also got a new purpose, and that is the gospel spread. A new purpose, the spread of the gospel. But if you look back at the text, not only does he have a new purpose, it says here he's doing this for something, for the sake of his name. Here Paul's saying, I not only have a new purpose to get people connected to God, but the passion that overrides this purpose, that, that informs this purpose, is I want God to be known. I want his name and his fame to spread. I want so badly for God to be seen as as great as he is, as gracious as he is, as glorious as he is. I want to spread a passion for the goodness and greatness of God. And he says that he wants to do this among all the nations, which is really beautiful. 
because it's a theme that we talk about all the time here at ICC, that not only has God given us this new position of grace, this new purpose and passion, but God, God wants us to be able to live this out among all peoples. There is a global invitation here. This, this is not about a message for a certain race or a certain level of education or a certain nation geographically, politically. This is not for some certain biological family or certain hobby club group or some certain income level. This is a message for all. And Paul has been changed by this. He said, I used to view everything according to race. Look at his pedigree. Look at how racist he was and many of the other Jews. And he says that has completely changed. And he lives the rest of his life to spread the gospel, to become a servant even unto death for people who are not Jewish people. He sees that God has blown up all of those categories that humans give. This is for everybody. And he says, the reason I'm writing you this letter is because ultimately this is for you. You also, I want, I want you to know this is an invitation for you. And I'm saying to you, the same thing Paul said to the church of Rome, I'm saying to you today, this is not just for everyone in a general sense, this is in a personal sense for you. And the question is, what about you? Do you know and do you believe? He closes in the way that I'll close this message right now with a gospel invitation in verse seven. Because as he says, oh, I'm about to unpack all of this and I want you to know it's for you. He says, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says here at the end, I want you to know and to believe you are loved, loved by God. Secondly, I want you to know and believe that you are saved, called to be saints. You're right with God. Thirdly, he says, I want you to know and believe that you are secure. Grace to you. Where's security come from? Grace to you. Not anything that we do, all in what has been done. Grace to you. And fourth, I want you to know that you have peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's asking, as he's writing this letter and as I'm preaching this first sermon, I'm asking, do you know? The whole rest of this series and study, I hope you'll be excited to join us in this journey. This is just the beginning. But the passion of this book is my passion for you as your pastor. I want you to know and I want you to believe and to receive what is true. God loves you. He does. And there is a way to know that you can be saved in Jesus Christ. There is a way to have his grace and there is a way to have his peace. It is all not in what we do, but in what he has done. Amen? So as we close today, I want to invite you to consider Jesus. As we sing this song, which will be our anthem song throughout this study of Romans and this series, What He's Done.
I just want you to take a minute to just celebrate what Jesus has done. Oh, we're going to be celebrating it for months to come as we go through this book. But even right now, in a simple way, today, you can just say, oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Because I know that the gospel is foundational and transformational for life with God, my life with God, now and forever. And I just want to thank you, Jesus. I want to thank you for who you are and for what you offer. Father, I pray today that as we consider your gospel, Lord, that you would work these truths out into our minds and our hearts and our lives. And even now in this moment of stillness and surrender, that you would bring us to a point where we see our need and we see your provision. Where we see our sin and we see your salvation. We see our brokenness and we see your grace. And we just say, oh God, I need your love. I need your love, I believe you love me. (laughs) I need your salvation, I believe you can save me. I need your grace, I believe you're a giver because of who you are and what you've done for me in my place. In your life, death, and resurrection, Lord, you give grace. Oh God, I believe that you can give peace and oh Father, I need it right now. So let's just rest on Jesus today. Again, the gospel is not about a concept, it's about a person. And so let's just come to Jesus where you are right now. The Holy Spirit is here and working. Just come to Jesus. He is Lord. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.